Thank you. Thank you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Joshua chapter 6, if you will. Joshua chapter 6. I apologize ahead of time this morning. I've been sniffing a lot, and uh, I was out here mowing on Friday, and something hit me in the eyeball, and uh, it, I don't think I scratched it, but it's weird because it feels like a bruise on my eye. But it, my eyeball's been run, uh, watering, and my nose has been running ever since then, and so... Uh, I don't know. It's one of those. I've been putting eye drops in it and everything else. We'll see what happens. But uh, if I start doing like this kind of stuff, then you'll know what's wrong with me at least. But uh, Joshua chapter 6 is, a, is, a, is an exciting story and one that uh, many times we tell in Sunday school. If you've been in church any length of time, uh, you've heard this story before. But it's, it's, I think it's good for us a lot of times to go back and just read the story. Uh, read it from the Word of God. There is, there is not many, more, uh, many stories more exciting than the stories that we find in the Bible. Because most of the time, uh, if not all of the time, they're miraculous. God does something amazing for his people. And, uh, you know, you think about the story of David and Goliath. You think of, uh, of Daniel in the lion's den. We talked about last week with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so many other stories of, of Noah and the flood and, and so many other things that God did it. And it was very obvious that God did it. And this is one of those stories. And we pick it up there in, in Joshua chapter 6, right there in verse number 1. Uh, let me give you a, just a quick background, and, and most of you will remember this as well. But Moses led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Forty years they wandered around in the wilderness because they didn't have the faith to trust that God would bring them into the land. Moses sent the 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, there's no possible way we can take this land. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, Hey, this is doable. And not only that, God's promised us this land. We can, take this, we can take this land. Well, because of their unbelief, God said, well, you're not going into the land yet. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, before they started coming into the promised land, passed away. God took him uh, to heaven and then buried his body in a place where nobody would find it. And I think that's interesting that God did that. I think it's because, you know, Moses being a great uh, leader in Israel, his body probably, or, or his, his burial ground would probably have been turned into a shrine, and they'd been there worshiping it and everything else, especially when you see what happens with Israel over the course of all those years. But God buried him in a place where nobody was at, and then Joshua took over as the leader. Joshua took over as the new commander of, uh, of the nation of Israel and, of course, of the armies of Israel, and now they're getting ready to move into the promised land. And the first place they come is Jericho. And it says this in verse number one, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. They saw, the, they saw the Israelites coming and they said, close all the gates, keep everything locked. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. We're not letting these guys in there. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I've given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the, compass the city, all ye men of war. Walk about, walk around it. Go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. 
And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets and the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Joshua rose up early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day, they compassed the city once, returned to the camp. So they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early about the dawning of the day, and Compass the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they, uh, only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the, the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and all that are with her in that house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves a curse when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and women, young and old, ox and sheep, and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she had as ye swear unto her, and so on. And, and the rest of the story is, is talking about saving Rahab and her family because she trusted the Lord uh, to protect her and so on. But Jer Jericho was a very strongly defended city. Uh, it was shut up. They had, there, was no, there was no entrance and the walls of the city of Jericho were purported to be wide enough that they could race six chariots across the top of those walls. These were not just some thin walls that some mason did a bad job bricking it and there was holes all over it and cracks everywhere that you could see. And oh, it's natural that this wall would have just fallen over. All you had to do was push it and it would fall. That's not the way Jericho was. Jericho was a well-defended city, a well-built city. Uh, and, and, and honestly, the world that we live in is very much like that today. Shut up to the things of God. Very well defended against the things of God, if you will. But Jericho was the frontier city. It was, it was the first one. As soon as they crossed into that land of Canaan, Jericho was that first city. And, and, and that being captured, the conquest of the rest of Canaan would be comparatively easy. Jericho was like the banner city. There was not a, really a lot of other cities that were like Jericho. And so uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mind of the Israelites, man, if we can take that city first, then the rest of them, you know, they're, 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 the rest would be pretty easy to take. And honestly, there, there are a lot of things in the world that stand in the way of our evangelizing the world as well. We have a great responsibility in front of us to win this world to Jesus Christ, to win the lost to Jesus Christ. And, and I want this message to be an encouragement to you today. What God did in Jericho for the Israelites, he can still do for us as Christians today. We're still serving the same God. God didn't lose his power. God didn't lose his ability. Mostly what's happened is that we've lost our faith in that same God. And we don't trust him the same way that they trusted him. And we don't believe that he can do the same things that they believe that he can do. And we don't obey him the same way that they obeyed him. 
But he can do the same thing for us right here in this county. He can do the same thing for us in the United States of America. And I want to say today that I, I read this outline from a message that was preached all the way back in the 1860s by Charles Spurgeon, one of the well-known preachers of, the, of, the, uh, of years gone by. And I was so inspired by the points of the message that he brought out that I, I want to bring it to you as a message today. I'm using his outline uh, as, as kind of a guide, because the way that he constructed the outline, I think, was very good. The points are very good. And so I want to look at three parts of the conquest of Jericho this morning that I believe has a direct correlation to each one of us as Christians today. The title of the message is simply this, Winning for Christ. Winning for Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things in this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for an opportunity to be here. I do pray that this message would be an encouragement to us to have the faith to trust that you can do the same things for us today that you did for the Israelites all the way back then. And God, that you want to bless us, that you want to use us, that you want to do great and mighty things through our lives if we'd be willing to let you do it. And God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us to continue moving forward for the cause of Jesus Christ and that we'd win for the cause of Christ. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is this. God would have his people work. God would have his people work. The, the soldiers of God's army, after they crossed the Jordan River, they were not to just go over there and set up hammocks and lie still and, and, and live in luxury and, and be at ease and all of those things until Jericho's walls would just slowly start crumbling down. That's not the way that it happened. They were supposed to work, and Jericho would fall as a result of the work that they did. And that, that work was supposed to consist of that, that daily procession, marching around the wall. And, and humanly speaking, that makes no sense. And I can imagine that there's probably many of those soldiers in Israel who thought Joshua had, had lost it. Hey, man, he's got command, and now he's, he's, he's cracked up. He's gone over the edge, right? Something's wrong with Joshua. You want us to just walk around that city, and you think something's going to happen? And not only that, we can't say a word as we're doing it? What sense does that make? We're men of war. We want to get out there and charge the city. We'll, we'll beat the gate down. Who cares if they have that city shut up? Yeah, they claim to be mighty warriors, but so are we. Let's go take the city. And Joshua says, we will, but we're going to march around it first without saying a word. You can imagine what kind of thoughts must have run through the heads of those soldiers as they were being told that. But they, then the ark had to be carried on men's shoulders. The men of war were there to defend the ark, to clear the way, to follow uh, in the rear and to guard it against any kind of sudden attacks or maybe some kind of eruption from the city. But I can imagine that, that those that were in Jericho, and you know here, probably, uh, obviously, I've, I've never been to battle, uh, and, and battle today is very different than it was back then. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, maybe even during the Civil War or the American War for Independence when all the sides are getting in line. And here they are, you know, they know that these muskets are getting ready to be pointed straight at them. And there's a good chance that one of those bullets is going to go right through their body. And you can imagine the, the anticipation and the, uh, the uneasiness and, and, you know, most of that, the noise of them moving into position was not a lot of shouting and conversations and everything else. I, I, I'd imagine it was probably pretty somber. And I guess that's probably the way that it was in the city of Jericho. And they see this giant crowd of people. By that point, there was a couple million men in the nation of Israel, and here they all come marching across the Jordan, and Jericho, the people of Jericho know that their city is the first one, and they are directly in line of the pathway that Israel is going to take, and I can imagine that as they all start to move into place, there's probably not a whole lot of talking going on in Jericho either, probably a whole lot of anticipation of how are they going to try to take this city. Let's, let's lock everything up. Nobody goes in or out. 
Nobody is moving. And then the nation of Israel walks up. They've got these guys with a, a box on their shoulders. They don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? They've got these priests with ram's horns that they're starting to blow. And they've got all these soldiers that are starting to get into position. And then they start walking. And they, they march all the way around the city and they go back home. Can you imagine what the, what, the, what the people of Jericho must have been thinking? What's wrong with these people? I thought they were going to attack us. They marched around the city. Okay, maybe they were just, you know, doing some, doing some surveillance. They're trying to figure out, like, maybe where some weak spots are. Maybe we should do the same thing. Let's go check everything again. And the next day, they come back, day two. They get everything in place. And, of course, that anticipation is still there. You know, today's going to be the day that they attack. We're ready. And they get that box up on their shoulders, and they get those guys out there with the ram's horns, and they march around the city, and they go home. And you got you to think that the people of Jericho were just, what in the world is going on, right? And they do that six more times. And so by the sixth day, I can imagine that the people of Jericho are probably standing on the top of the wall looking down at these Israelites and probably starting to chuckle a little bit. You really think that, 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 that you're going to win that way? I mean, you're just marching around the city. What, do you think you're going to scare us, and we're going to come out with our hands up or whatever? And then on the seventh day, they, start, they get out there very early in the morning. And maybe by that time, the, the people of Jericho had started to relax a little bit. Maybe that anticipation wasn't there, but they start their march. They get that box up on their shoulders, and they get those guys out there with the ram's horns, and they get the soldiers behind them, and they start marching. And they march again and again and again and again. And probably about the third or fourth or the fifth time, the, the people of Jericho are probably saying, this is crazy. What in the world are they doing? And that's where we pick it up in this story, where they're following what God told them to do. And you can probably imagine what the Israelites were probably saying the same thing. We're marching around and going back to the tents? What, what are we doing? And we're going to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day? And now, after all that marching, you want us to get up early at the break of dawn and get out there and do it seven times? What sense does that make? Humanly speaking, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why they knew that it was God. They knew that he was the one that did that for him, but it has to be by work. That's exactly how it has to be with us. We're to win the world for Christ. That's a high ambition. It's a lot of, it's a lot of responsibility that's laid on our shoulders, and it's all going to be for the glory of God, but it has to be by work, by carrying a good testimony, by the preaching of the gospel, by continual prayer, by, by encompassing the city, by perpetually serving God, walking in the path of obedience. Let's look closer at how this was supposed to be done. Number one, the work was to be universal, right? Everybody had a job to do. Everybody had a responsibility. There was a place for every single one of the Israelites. The soldiers were to go around the city. With them, the priests were to march. Everybody was involved. There was not anybody that was left by the wayside to watch and applaud or criticize or anything else. All of us are called to serve God. Every single one of us has a responsibility to get out there and do the work of the Lord. Nobody is, nobody is given a pass to sit on the sidelines. Nobody is given a pass to criticize or to applaud or any of those other kind of things. Every one of us is supposed to be in the work, doing the work of the Lord. Spurgeon said it this way, how many take their seats in the pew? When they have once made themselves comfortable, consider that their work is entirely wrapped up in listening to sermons or perhaps fumbling in their pockets for a solitary coin on collection occasions for the missionary society. It may be now and then, now and then assisting in some enterprise of usefulness, but this only as an exception to the rule. We shall never see the church become strong and mighty till every single member of the church shall realize his responsibility. We must all encompass this city. 
I want you to think about something this morning. If, if you were an outstanding gifted evangelist, let's say, and you had the ability to get up and preach in a way that people had never heard before, or you had, a, you had an ability to, to tell the message of the gospel in a way that people just were drawn to it, and you were able to lead 10,000 people to Christ every day. Now, that would be an amazing accomplishment. 10,000 people. Do you know how long it would take you to win the world for Christ at that, at that, at that rate? It would take you 10,000 years to win the world for Jesus Christ. But now think about this. If you are a true disciple of Christ, and if you are able under God's power to win just one person to Christ every single year, and you disciple that person and you train that person to go out and win one person for Christ every single year themselves, do you know how long it would take to win the world for Christ? 32 years, the entire world would know Jesus Christ as their Savior if every Christian won one person to Jesus Christ a year. You know how long it would take for us to win Henrico County to, to Christ if we did that? Six years. The entire county would know Jesus Christ as their Savior if every single person went out and won one person for Christ, discipled them, and trained them to go lead somebody else. Six years, we'd have this entire county won for Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. Only God's grace is needed, and we have to plead with him to bring down the blessing. When that blessing comes as a result of our efforts and on our labor, there's no hindrance in time or effort. It doesn't take long, and it's not hard to win a soul. The amount of, of work that we have to do is tremendous, but, but what is said most of the time is that 95% of the work in a church is done by 5% of the people, and that's true in so many places. And that's why there's not a lot of work being done by most churches because only 5% of the people are involved in that work. Could you imagine if only 5% of the Israelites decided that they were going to get up and go and march around the city of Jericho? Those walls would not have come down. God said everybody needs to be involved in this. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's got a responsibility. Get out there and march. Get out there and encompass the city. We don't get snow here often, thankfully. Uh, when I lived up in Indiana, I lived right outside of Chicago and right off of Lake Michigan. So we got everything. We got the cold and wind from Chicago. We got the lake effect snow from Lake Michigan. And we, it was, I was so glad when I left uh, Indiana. But I told my wife when I came down, I said, I don't care. Well, and, and I'll tell you what made matters worse. The year before I moved down here, I was actually working on staff at the, at the, uh, at the church that I, was, uh, that I grew up at. And um, I offered as part of that, that whole thing to help work on the maintenance. And they said, oh, perfect. Well, what you can do is you can wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day and go see if it snowed. And if it snowed, even if it's just a little dusting, you can go out there and shovel all the sidewalks. And uh, it dusted a whole lot. And I got so tired of seeing snow. And I moved down here and I told my wife, I could care less if I never see another snowflake in my life. And then the first year I came down here, it didn't snow at all. I mean, we had maybe a tiny little dusting. I said, well, maybe I didn't mean it that much. I, I do like snow a little bit to be able to go and ski and all of that kind of stuff. But we don't get it that often. But could you imagine when we do get snow, how long it would take and how backed up everything would get if um, two or three men had to do the work of shoveling everything in, in the county, right? They got out there with little shovels, and they had to shovel every driveway they had to shovel every sidewalk. They had to get out there and shovel every road. Now, it doesn't, snow doesn't usually last that long here because, you know, it's 72 degrees the next day and all the snow melts, right? 
but in Indiana, you get, a, you get a good snow, and the next thing you know, it's there for, for the next three or four months. You get a couple base layers on top of that, it freezes, and it doesn't go away until spring. Could you imagine how hard it would be if you had two or three people that had the job of cleaning, cleaning all of that off? Could you imagine how long it would take everything to get back up and running if you only had two or three guys that were doing all of that work? Thankfully, for the most part, everybody gets out there and does their own. They get out there and shovel their driveway. They get out there and shovel the sidewalks, you know? Of course, then you have the, the road crews that get out there and, and do the roads. But um, the, what, what, what would it take... And how long would it take if everybody had to do that, if, if you had two or three men that were trying to do the work that everybody should be doing? And that's exactly what we find happening many times in, in church, right? Two or three people are the ones that are at everything. They're the ones that are involved. They're the ones that are doing the work, and everybody else is just standing around saying, when are you going to get the work done? Yeah, we need to go win the world for Jesus Christ. We need to tell the gospel. We need to share with everybody. Go ahead. You do it first. We'll sit here and watch you. That's the way it is in, in, in a lot of places. The work has to be done by everyone, but also, number two, the work has to be done in God's appointed way, right? They're not, they're, it's not just going to scramble. It's not this boyish race around Jericho. You know, they, they weren't doing like, uh, uh, they didn't set up a track and everybody takes off and see who's, who can get around it the fastest and all those other things. That there has to be soldiers in their troops, the priests, and then, uh, again, the men of war behind them to bring up the rear. God would have his people work, but according to his revealed will. And we can only expect to have his guidance, his help, his blessing when we take the path that's marked for us. Think about if you were to go on a, on a tour, and maybe some of you have done that this summer with vacation and everything else, you'd, you'd only see the sites worth seeing if you agree to follow the map, right? Uh, sometimes there's some great places that are not marked on the map and whatever else, but you can't get a great view of the Blue Ridge Mountains if you don't hike up to the spots where they say, hey, this is a great scenic overlook. This is a, this is a place where you really want to go and see everything. Then this is where you need to be. And if we decided that we, you know, you decided you didn't want to follow that map or whatever else, you're not going to see a whole lot of the spectacular things that they've laid out for people to see. And I, and I think the same is true when it comes to, to God's blessing. I cannot expect to have God's blessing in my ministry, be it uh, in, a, in a Sunday school class or be it working um, in, in uh, knocking on doors or dealing with kids or anything else if I'm not obeying and following the word of God. We can only expect the walls to come crumbling down if we're willing to follow God's orders and that means when we, when we hear things from the Word of God and we say, you know what, that's something that I need to change in my life, but you know what, I'm not, I don't want to change that right now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying living my life like this. I like this sin too much, or I like this thing too much, whatever it happens to be. And God, I'm not willing to change. God can't bless that. God can't bless our work if it's not done in His way. But the work also had to be done daily. If you notice in that story, the Israelites marched around Jericho every single day. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of excitement, not a lot of understanding of what God was doing, but they did it. And the fact that they did it every single day means they were willing to trust God beyond what they thought, beyond what, they, what made sense to them, right? Those are the times when we see great blessing from God. Those are the times <clears throat> that are exciting and thrilling. But the majority of the Christian life is just a life of routine, right? If we only ever get excited when we see specifically God's hand moving, then we're not going to be excited very much. God moves and God does great things. And we've seen him do a lot of things in our, in our own personal lives. We've seen him do a lot of things in our church, but you don't see it that often. And if the only time you ever decide that you're going to do it God's way is when you see God working, 
You're not going to see it very often. If we only get earnest about reading our Bibles and praying when we're looking for something great from God, we're going to see very few great things from God. If, we, if we're to conquer the world for Jesus Christ, we each have to have our daily work and we have to keep at it as God gives us the grace. But the, the wheels just turn over and over and over and over again. You think about how many times that same spot on a wheel touches the ground. It's not very exciting to see that wheel going in circles, right? But if the wheel never turned, you'd never get anywhere. And the same thing is true when it comes to the Word of God. When the wheel stops, we'll never make it to our destination. We have to keep fighting on for Christ, keep fighting for Christ every single day. Spurgeon again said this, we must sleep in our armor. We must begin to feel that the sword cleaves to our hand and cannot be separated from it. We must give ourselves so entirely to the work to which God has called us that wherever we are, whatever we may be engaged in, men may take knowledge of us as to what is our work and calling. In this Irish society, there, may, there must be no standing still, no ceasing of the trumpet, no withdrawing of so much as a single ram's horn. The testimony must still be kept up. The witness bearing must become more constant. We must preach and teach and pray and work and live and if necessary, Die daily until this Jericho is stormed. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. You know Hebrews 11 well. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And maybe you don't know all the stories of all the men and all the ladies and all the people that are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, but I think this is interesting. God commends the faith of all of Israel for what they did at Jericho. Because number four, we have to say that the work was to be done in faith. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Oh, the, God would have his people work. That work has to be universal, though. That work has to be done in God's appointed way. The work has to be done daily, but the work has to be done in faith. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse number 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. It must have taken tremendous faith to make that first step in that march around Jericho. And I think even more than the first step, I think, I, I think the last steps on the last day were probably done in greater faith than even the first ones. Because after six days of marching every single day and on the seventh day marching around seven times and seeing nothing happening, they didn't know what was going to happen. Now, God had told Joshua what was going to happen, but Joshua didn't tell all the people, this is what's going to happen. Here's a play-by-play here's a -play of, of how this is all going to lay out, right? Joshua had to have faith to trust that God was going to do it, and then they had to trust that, that Joshua was following God's will and that they were doing what God wanted them to do. And they didn't see anything. For 13 times around Jericho, they didn't see anything. Could you imagine the faith that it must have taken them to just keep marching? But the work has to be done in faith, and if it's not done in faith, then God cannot bless it. God cannot do anything through us if we're not doing it in faith. A lot of people have said, maybe especially by the fifth or sixth day, you're doing nothing. You're not loosening a single stone from the walls of Jericho. But at least none of those who marched around the city were... Most of those who marched around the city were men of faith, or it wouldn't have been said of them that by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Spurgeon, describing the marching of the men, said it this way. Yes, they seem to say, she will come down. She will come down. She stands like a rock. She has not moved. There's not a beam loosened nor a cord broken. Not a house in ruins. Not a tent has fallen. Not a single stone that has crumbled from her battlements. But she shall come down. And on they went, with steady tramp, and though they saw no corpses blocking up their pathway, though their arms were not red with blood, though they heard no shriek of those who flee and could utter no shout of victory, yet they were as confident as they were when the walls actually began to rock, and the dust and smoke went up to heaven. 
and the shrieks of the slain made glad their ears. We must encompass this city in full faith. Brothers, is the preaching of the gospel a power? If you think it's not, never try it again. Is the gospel mighty to save? Will the gospel come out victorious? If you have any doubt, slink back to your cowardly repose and let the man whom God sends never doubt. If you have achieved no successes, if after 50 years your trumpet of jubilee was exceedingly small, if after 50 years it was something like a ram's horn that had not been bored and could not make any noise at all, yet still go on. Your time for shouting has not yet come, but your time for compassing the city is always present. Get on with it. Get on with it, and God will not permit you to end till you have won the victory. We've gotten to the point, especially in our country, where things, humanly speaking, seem impossible. To see this nation come back to God seems like an impossibility. And if you look at it from a human standpoint, it will never happen. That's the point where God wants us to be, and yet he tells us, keep marching around that city. Compass that city six more times. Seven times on the seventh day, and we have to have the courage and the faith to go on. Then when God has taught us that our work is nothing without him, and that we are nothing without him, then we know that when the victory comes, it's all his. And I've said that many times when it comes to the idea of revival. I believe that we can see a revival in America again. But God has gotten us to the point where the only way that we're going to see revival is if he does it. It's not going to be because we're something special. It's not going to be because we're great or we're mighty or we have any ability of our own. If we had, we would already have seen revival in this nation. It's getting worse. It's getting farther away from God. What we need to see is a revival, but when God sends a revival, we know it's him. And we know it's all him because that's the only way that it would be possible. And it takes faith to believe that God can use us to bring that about. And that's the only way that our work works is if we work in faith. God would have his people work. If you've not put your hand to the plow, if you've not carried your part of the burden, then now is the time to get busy. But number two, God would have his people wait. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. I think that delay must have really tried the patience of the, of the Israelites. I can imagine what they must have been thinking. You know, time flies and time is very precious. Why make us wait? If, if we spend too much time by the walls of Jericho, what, what, how long is it going to take us to conquer the rest of the land? And if, if the walls of Jericho don't fall down soon, then, then all those other nations are going to start questioning the Israelites whether they really have that power, and they're going to start getting their boldness and their courage, and they're going to come out and they're going to fight against us. Why is God making us wait? But they must keep quiet and walk. As far as they knew, it was going to go on forever. They didn't know how long they were going to be marching around that city. Must have been so hard for them to wait, especially for military men who were used to always doing something and getting out there and, and just going ahead with the mission, ready to take the land that God's promised them. These, these men must have felt like this march around Jericho for those six days, that they were doing very little. But God was making them wait. God was teaching them that patience that they needed to wait on Him. It's not in our timing, it's in His timing. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us would say the same thing of our work here. You know, we think that we've done very little or, or, or that we're wasting our time. We remember two or, thing, two or three things that have been successes where we've seen God really do some great things and then some things that seem a long way from success. We need to see something done. It's hard to wait. We have to check ourselves. We, don't, we have to be careful not to relax our efforts just because we don't see that immediate success, just because we don't see the results that we think we want to see, that we, uh, that we think we should be seeing. 
We have times on the seventh day and stopped. They would not have seen the victory. And even though it didn't make sense to them, God was working behind the scenes. God was doing something. And a lot of it was to say, hey, this is my battle. This is my victory. It's not yours. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use you in a great and mighty way. And by the way, I'm going to mark you in Hebrews chapter 11 that it was your faith that made this possible. But have faith and wait. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. See, they had a lot of things threatening to discourage them. I can imagine that a big part of it was wondering how they could ever hope to win that city by simply walking around and around. Hey, give me a good ladder. Give me a, give me a rope ladder with some grappling hooks on it. I'll throw it up over the top of that thing, and we'll be inside the city before they even know what hit us, what hit them. You can imagine that some of them might have thought that if they didn't say it, but that's not what God wanted. Just march around that place 12 times. That's, that's all you got to do. Just, just keep marching. Doesn't make sense to you, but it makes sense to me. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Have that patience. Sure, there are some who would have suggested that they adopt better methods, right? Oh, this ain't working. This is, this is never going to work. We need to do something else. We need, to, we need to go to better methods. Look at what all these other people are doing in these non-denominational churches to get people. Oh, they're, they're dropping the standards of everything just to try to get people in. And they're getting people in. Look what's happening there. Why don't we do the same thing? Let's just compromise a little bit here and there so we can get the, the golden ladder to scale the walls of Jericho. It's not what God wants us to do. We have clearly written in the word of God what he expects us to do. And any compromise is moving away from his plan. Any compromise is moving away from the patience that he expects us to, to display if we expect a great victory from God. And oh, you look at it. There is a, there's a stark difference many times in, in a lot of these churches who are bursting at the seams. But you know what happens? They always come crumbling down. They always fall. They don't last. Because God's not in it. And they're not doing it the way that God told them to do it. God's not looking for better methods. He's looking for better men. God's looking for better people to follow his plan, to do it the way that he said it needs to be done. All of the wisdom in the world cannot build a church. It has to be God that does it. And just drawing in a crowd doesn't mean that God is building a church. There's a lot of other places that can attract a crowd that have nothing to do with church whatsoever. The Richmond race is going on this afternoon. There's going to be a crowd bigger than probably any church in the entire country going on right there. has nothing to do with church. You can attract a crowd. You can draw people in. But unless it's done in God's way, you're never going to see the walls of Jericho come down. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. It takes the simplicity of children, but let, let us believe that God's ways are the best ways. We have to do it the way that he wants it to be done. And even though we can't understand it just now, we have to keep on believing. We have to keep on waiting. We have to keep on compassing the city because Jericho's walls are going to fall. We know that God has his reasons for making us wait. But sometimes we don't know what those reasons are. Aren't we in the middle of that right now with this church building situation? I don't know why God's making us wait. I don't know what his plans are behind the whole thing. Sometimes I, I want to just go out there and, you know, march around one of these. Let's, you know what? Let's, let's take the church and go march around Cabela's a few times, huh? We'll take that building. 
Sometimes that's what you want to do, right? But, but this is God's church, and this is his plan, and this is his way, and he's teaching us patience, and he's teaching us faith. And I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do something, and we're just marching right now. We're marching in circles, and we're going around that wall, and we're, and we're praying in faith that God's going to give us something, that God's going to do something. And I believe that he will, but it's going to come in a way that we never expected it to come. It's going to happen at a time when we never expected it to happen. It's for his own glory. We know that all things work together for good, and we believe it that, that it's ultimately for our profit. But think about, think about a, a story that you've read, a book that you've read, or maybe some movie that you've watched or something that, that had a lot of you know, dramatic parts in it, some tragic parts, and you see the main character go through some very difficult things, some very tragic things. But in the end, they always end up triumphing over those difficulties. That's why they're making a story about it, right? Uh, they faced a lot of, a lot of uh, heart, heartaches. They faced a lot of difficulties. They faced a lot of things where they just didn't know what was going to happen or how things were going to turn out, right? Would you have wished for those bad parts to be taken out of the story? No, because that's what makes the story what it is, right? That's what makes it worth reading. That's what makes that movie worth watching, it's got the, the bad parts in there that, that are heartbreaking for the main character that's going through those things, and that's what makes the triumph so much better. It's going through those difficult times, and if we take all of those out, then there's nothing to the story. And, and, and the same thing is true with us. God's writing the story of history. He's writing the history of his church, and we are part of that history. And if we take out all of the, the difficult parts... If we take out all the hard parts, if we take out all the waiting and the patience and the faith and all those other things, the story is not the same. There's nothing exciting about it when the victory does come because it's just everything always happens perfectly, right? Everything is always, you know, a bed of roses. It's always easy. Oh, that's not the way that it is, but that's what makes the story good. There has to be a difficulty to be able to overcome that difficulty, there has to be something hard that we display our patience and faith in God in so that we can see him work and we know that he was the one that did it. We have to remember that it's all for our eternal benefit and, and, and for God's everlasting glory to keep on, to wait and wait and wait and have that patience. Wait till we grow very well near weary. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Canaan, contrary to what a, a, a lot of people have been written, uh, have written about it over the years, is not a, a, a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life, right? They had a lot of battles to face. You don't fight battles in heaven, right? I'll cross the Jordan into heaven, you know? It's not, it's, 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 a, it's a victorious Christian life. That's what Canaan pictures, and there's going to be a lot of fights. There's going to be a lot of times when we don't understand. There's going to be a lot of times when we have to show faith, and there's a lot of times when we have to show patience. There's going to be a lot of times when we don't know what the next step is. But that's what the victorious Christian life is all about. We keep having that faith. We keep showing that patience. We keep trusting in God. We have no idea what God has in store for this church or for this country or for this nation. Neither did the men of Israel as they stood outside the walls of Jericho. They were there, and they were ready, and they saw when God did that work. Throughout history, every now and then, there comes about a, a great change, a great revival. We have to be ready, standing in the gap, waiting for our opportunity because the victory is going to come, and that's what I want you to see third. 
God would have his people work. God would have his people wait. But lastly, God would have his people win. Turn back over to Joshua chapter 6, if you will, as we close here. Joshua chapter 6. First of all, we see that the victory is sure. Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 16. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Verse number 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. It wasn't just like a few bricks fell down, right? It wasn't just, oh, there's a hole in the wall now. Let's go in through that hole. The entire city fell down, fell down flat. I couldn't imagine what that must have sounded like, let alone looked like. Can imagine what the people in Jericho must have started thinking when the wall started to shake and they're standing there on the top of that wall laughing at the Israelites and the next thing you know, there's no wall for them to stand on. And it just falls down. It fell down so flat that they just walked right over top of the walls and went right into the city. If we stay faithful to God, the victory is going to come. Right? Had the Israelites left after the 12th time around that wall, they would never have seen that victory. Because we have God on our side, the victory is very sure, but also... We see that the victory is very complete. Verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. When victory comes, and it will come, it will be very complete. God will defeat our enemies, and he'll give us a complete victory. What does the song say? Our God is victorious. He always wins. And if, like we sang this morning, I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight in the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord. I'm on the winning side. Oh, we just keep trusting. Keep moving forward for him. Keep marching around the wall. The third thing we'll see about that victory is that the victory may be very sudden. For the Israelites, not a stone had fallen until the Bible says the walls fell flat. Oh, it's not like they even had a little bit of a hint. You know, day two, another layer of brick fell off. Day three, uh, two more layers fell off. And then on the last time they marched around there, the rest of the walls fell down. They didn't get any indication that anything was happening until all of a sudden, boom, all of those walls fell flat. Keep at it. Keep going. Keep serving. We might be weeks or even days from seeing God do something amazing in our church, seeing God do some tremendous things. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't, don't, don't stop waiting patiently, don't stop praying, don't stop fighting. Because number four, the victory will be very glorious. I suppose it'll not be glorious in the way that we think. You know, we, we, we've got nothing by it. When Jericho fell, nobody gained anything except to offer it unto the Lord, right? Jericho fell and they marched in there. I mean, and it, it was a very prosperous city. I mean, they had gold and silver and all kinds of stuff, and they gathered all of those things together, and they were not allowed to take one of those things out of there. It wasn't for their glory. All of that was going into the house of God. It was for his glory. And so when I say that, that the victory will be very glorious, it's not that, oh, look at everything we've accomplished. Oh, this is wonderful. We're going to march through the city, and they're going to put crowns on our heads and robes on our back, and they're going to they're praise us. No, it's, it's glorious because it brings all the glory to God. And that's what we're trying to do in the first place, isn't it? We have to keep pressing on in unselfish service, just toiling on for the master, remembering that when success comes, 
It'll be all his. Every single bit of it is going to be all his. Glory will be to him and not to us. See, God will send the success in such a way that nobody will be able to say, glory be to Mount Victory Baptist Church, right? Glory be to Pastor Boots. Glory be to the people of Mount Victory. Look what they've accomplished. No, the way that God's going to send the victory, he's going to send the victory in a way that everybody can only say, glory be to God. He's the one that brought that victory for that church. Look what God did for them. God will, nobody will be able to say, well done, Baptist denominations, you know. No single pastor or evangelist is going to be able to say, well done, myself, right? When God brings that victory, the one shout that will go up to heaven will be, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I don't want to end this morning until I say to every person here, and especially to you who, who cannot take interest in God's work because you're not saved. I'm not asking you to share the gospel with those in this community. Your own soul has to be your first concern. And the way of salvation is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's very simple to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's Jesus Christ that stands in the gap. And as we talked about already, the blood of Jesus Christ, it's his blood that makes that atonement for us. Take him to be your atonement. Take him to be your justifier. Take him to be your salvation and your all. Possibly can with the time that we have left. If I could give you an encouragement this morning, an acclaim to trust. It's going to bring glory to the God that we claim to be waiting on. And we're going to know that it was God that did it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity to share this message this morning. And oh, what a, what a powerful lesson we find in the story of Joshua and these Israelites who just had the faith to trust and then saw God do some great and mighty things. And God, I pray that you'd help us in this church to be the witness for you that you need us and want us and have commanded us to be. God, I pray that you'd help us to continue to go forward in faith for the cause of Jesus Christ. I pray that you give us the patience to trust that you're doing something great, but that you just want us to not give up, to not stop praying, to not stop reading your word, to not stop uh, having the patience to trust that you're going to work everything out for us, not just in our church, but in our own lives and our families. God, you want to use us. You, you have so many things for us that if we could just have the faith to trust you, can only imagine what you could do in and through us. And God, I pray that you help us to be effective in reaching this area for you. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would.